Hi, welcome to Heart of the Matter. I'm Sean McCraney, your host. Listen, if you know someone who would like to watch this show from another state, call them right now. Another thing, our book, Born Again Mormon, Moving Toward Christian Authenticity. It's a great read for anybody who would like to uh, see what it means to be born again as a Latter-day Saint. It's a must-read for Christians, must-read for LDS. It's cheap. It's $9.99 plus postage through PayPal on the website. However, if you are in financial hardship, this book is free to you. Simply email us and we'll get that book out to you without a charge whatsoever. So consider that. Let's go and have a prayer. Dear Lord, we love you and thank you for this time. We have a lot of information to cover tonight. I pray that you'll uh, open my mouth and mind to speak and open the hearts of the viewers, that we can have a good dialogue and understand one another better and the topic that we're going to discuss. In Jesus' holy name, amen. For those of you who aren't aware, Latter-day Saints call Sunday the Sabbath day. And they have a number of written and unwritten rules that go along with being obedient to that Sabbath day. When I was a child, I remember learning a song in primary that went something like this. Saturday is a special day. It's the day we get ready for Sunday. We clean the house and we shop at the store so we won't have to work until Monday. We brush our clothes and we shine our shoes and we call it our get the work done day. Then we trim our nails and we shampoo our hair so we can be ready for Sunday. And uh, Orthodox Jews obey a Sabbath day. And I do not begrudge them one bit for doing this. So what is the issue with the LDS view of this thing they call the Sabbath day? According to a contextual, inductive look at the Bible, what exactly is a Sabbath day? Is it something to be trifled with? When did it begin? Whom is it given? Does it have application to Christians today? Are there dangers in claiming to embrace the Sabbath day, but not observing it as it was given in the Old Testament? Is it errant to have worship on that day today? I'm going to offer seven concepts, interesting, seven days, seven, seven concepts regarding the Sabbath day, in anticipation of most of the assumptions and arguments and statements that people make who believe that this day should continue to be honored. It's a hot topic because when I announced last week that we're going to talk about the Sabbath day, we had a number of emails from Christians saying, Sean, you have to stress how important it is to obey the Sabbath day. So Christians also are under the impression at times that they have to follow the Sabbath day on Sunday. And uh, LDS obviously are too. Um, I don't judge it my place to condemn a person for doing certain things in God's name. If someone feels that doing certain things on Sunday is against God's will and they want to honor God by not doing those things, I'm completely in their camp. I don't, I, to, to me, it's wonderful that they want to honor God more on that day and another person doesn't. But there is liberty in Christ. And so I just want to preface the remarks by saying that um, it's not the fact that people will observe certain days as being holy. The problem with the LDS version of the Sabbath day is it's tied to your worthiness. You're viewed as being good or bad depending on your observance of the thing they call a Sabbath day. And your salvation is tied to it, therefore, on what you do or don't. So the condemnation that comes from not obeying a Sabbath day comes from the LDS side. 
not from my, my side. I don't condemn you for trying to obey one or not. I just condemn the idea that people say you have to do certain things on it. And I'm going to show why that is errant now. Okay, first, number one, there is one Sabbath day and one Sabbath day only. And it's Saturday, okay? Sunday cannot be the, a Sabbath day any more than your dog can be a cat. Your dog might eat cat food. Your dog might walk like a cat. Your dog might sit in the cat area. It might run like a cat. It might even purr like a cat, but it's still a dog. Saturday is the Sabbath day, always has been, and there's a very important theological reason for that. There's doctrinal reasons for it, biblical reasons for it, and Sunday cannot be a Sabbath day, and that's a very important point. The Sabbath is on Saturday. When a member of the LDS Church says, do you obey the Sabbath and applies it to observances and actions on Sunday, it's a misnomer at best, and it's, this is a tough word, but it's a bastardization of what the Bible teaches of what the Sabbath day is. Why? First, the word Sabbath literally means in Hebrew, rest. Okay? It means rest. It's associated with God's rest after he finished creating the world. He was not tired on that day. Uh, the, the rest means that he stopped creating. He rested from his creations. But it doesn't mean that he rested physically and that he was tired out. The creation was at an end. The creation was finished. He rested. He finished. That's what they mean when they say it's the Sabbath day. The true Sabbath goes back to what God did at the end of creation. Genesis 2, 2 through 3, 3 talks about God resting and on the seventh day, which was a Saturday, God ended his work which he made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he made. The, uh, but there are some very important points to understand here regarding that seventh day. The Sabbath rest was not, I repeat, was not instituted at the creation. The Sabbath rest was not instituted with Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve did not observe a Sabbath day. Why would they? What did they have to rest from in the Garden of Eden? They were with God in His presence. There was no need for, there was nothing to finish. There was no need for them to take a rest. So why is the Sabbath day mentioned in Genesis? For the same reason that Eve is called the mother of all living in Genesis, before she ever had a child, for the same reason that John calls Judas the uh, betrayer of Jesus uh, in his gospel before, John, before Judas ever betrays Jesus. The Genesis record was written as an explanation of why there was a Sabbath, not as evidence as of there being a Sabbath at that time. Remember, Moses wrote Genesis in retrospect. He wasn't there with Adam and Eve. And what, when he wrote, he tied many things into his narrative that would give an explanation to the children of Israel of why they do what they do. But it doesn't mean that there was a Sabbath at that time. Now, how do we know this from the Bible? Turn to Nehemiah 9, 13, 14. This is really good. This is uh, God, uh, speaking of God, Nehemiah writes this. Now, listen closely. Thou camest down also up, uh, upon Mount Sinai and spake with them from heaven and gavest them right judgments and true laws, good statutes, and commandments. Now listen, 
talking about when God came down on Sinai, and madest known unto them thy holy Sabbath, and commandments them, and commandest them precepts, statutes, and laws by the hand of Moses thy servant. So Nehemiah tells us in this narrative that when God came down on Sinai, that's when he revealed his Sabbath. Okay? Now this might seem like a very small point. What does it matter? It matters greatly in the LDS idea of everything being revealed and it slowly being lost over time to Adam and Eve. It wasn't. And we learned that from Nehemiah. The children of Israel observed the Sabbath day uh, and it was a Saturday. So let's drop the idea also that the Sabbath day was a practice from the beginning. It wasn't. Okay, the next thing people say about the Sabbath day. But the Sabbath day was a commandment. It was one of the Ten Commandments. Remember number four, okay? Absolutely was. But what is the context of that command being given? In order to fully get the gist of the Sabbath day, first mentioned in Exodus 20, it must be seen in context of why it was given. Deuteronomy 5.1. Listen to why it was given. And Moses called all Israel and said unto them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and judgments which I speak in your ears this day, that ye may learn and keep and do them. The Lord God hath made a covenant with us in Horeb. The Ten Commandments then begin on verse 6. When we read the Ten Commandments in their context, they are inseparably connected with the Old Covenant of the law given to the children of Israel. We are now under the new covenant and it's of grace and the law was fulfilled, the old covenant was fulfilled completely in Christ in whom we now have faith. Listen to Hebrews 8.13. A new covenant he hath made the first old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old is ready to vanish away. Okay, remember that in context with all the law. And you're going to ask yourself, well, how does the law vanish away? It, Jesus didn't take it away. He fulfilled the law. We still believe in the Ten Commandments. How does this happen? I'll explain it in a minute. Now, there are always been people and there always will be people who want to burden others under the covenant of grace. They want to reach back into the old covenant and take those things that were part of the law and apply them to Christians today. It's just something that they do. They want the outward demands around to make, help people feel holy in their relationship to God. They want to impose law over grace. You've heard of Herbert W. Armstrong from the Worldwide Church of God, which was a cultic group. Herbert W. Armstrong had a large radio and television ministry, and he instituted great Sabbatarian rules that everybody had to follow. And then he took those out more, and he made dietary rules part of their religion. And then he broadened it more, and he started focusing on the makeup and hair of the women and all these legalistic things. Men seek to impose aspects of the law in order uh, to sort of control believers in their congregation today. That's why the law is reimposed, but it's a crime. Listen to what the Lord says in Hebrews 10.9 about people who take aspects of the old covenant and apply it today to people who are under the covenant of grace. Of how much sore punishment, suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God and hath counted the blood of the covenant, remember, the blood of the covenant shed by Jesus, wherewith he was sanctified and holy thing, 
and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. What he's saying there, in, in plainer English, Hebrews is sometimes difficult to understand, is you are going to have a sore punishment if you trample on the grace that Jesus brings to this earth by reinstituting things from the law and discarding the, the uh, concept of covenant of grace. Now, the Ten Commandments are great. The Ten Commandments are good. So how do we operate under the new covenant of grace found through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ? Let me give you an example. The Ten Commandments are amplified through Jesus, and they are made possible to follow through Jesus. Okay? So let's take one. The ten, uh, commandment number six, thou shalt not kill. That's a commandment. Is it still a good one? Absolutely. But it was amplified by Jesus when he said, thou shalt not kill. Yeah, thou shalt not even get angry with your brother. You shouldn't even use words that are going to invoke them to anger. So he, he amplified that. He took don't kill. Yeah, but don't even get angry. And it's amplified there. How is it possible not to get angry with your brother when you're born again through Jesus? His spirit comes to you and you have that ability to do that. All right, how about the seventh commandment? Commit adultery. Jesus amplified this by saying, it says don't commit adultery. Sure, we don't. I say don't even look on a woman with lust in your heart. He amplifies that even bigger. How can we possibly do that? We do that through faith and belief in Jesus. And he gives us the strength as we trust in him, not our own works, not a law, not a rule, to overcome those things. All things are amplified and made possible through him. I'll explain the amplification of the Sabbath day in a minute. But the Sabbath, this is the next point. The Sabbath is said to last forever and be perpetual. You shout, how could it no longer be necessary? It was said in the Old Testament that it's perpetual. Okay, if it is perpetual, then everything of the Old Testament should continue too, where it is said it is forever and perpetual. Exodus 29, 42 says, burnt offerings are perpetual and endless. Uh, incense burning is supposed to be perpetual and endless. Ceremonial washings are supposed to be perpetual and endless. And the Passover, piece, uh, Passover feast in Exodus 12, 14 is supposed to be perpetual and endless. And so should all the other covenants of the Old Testament and commands. Tithing, the dietary law should be perpetual. It should still go on today, kosher. Circumcision. Everybody should still be circumcised if we're going to follow Old Testament law. But the writer of Hebrews is explicit in explaining that the entire Old Covenant has been replaced by something, and this is the best word to describe the book of Hebrews. The book of Hebrews goes through and it says how the old was good, but the new is something better. Okay? It's better. And the whole book of Hebrews re-emphasizes the point of the law did this, but let me introduce you to something that is better. Okay? Hebrews 8, 6. Now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. Okay? So when you're following Jesus through spiritual rebirth, the Sabbath day is a thing that people have done, but what could be better than the Sabbath day observances that people still try to, to, uh, to do? Let me explain this to you, the better part. Um, better would be something like uh, in the Old Testament, 
uh, would be likened unto writing on par uh, parchment with a, a, a tool or something. That's parchment writing. A better covenant would be uh, write, cutting and pasting and writing and going on the internet and using a, a Microsoft word processor, okay? That's a better thing. Is the parchment done away with? No. Is the Microsoft better? Probably, okay? So when you're, when you're talking about better, it's not a change, it's just a better thing. And when you talk about the old covenant and the new covenant, you're talking about under the, the covenant of grace, it's a better way to live in faith with Christ, okay? All right, the next thing. But according to the Gospels, Jesus kept the Sabbath, and we should follow his perfect example. I have to admit this. It really is annoying when people use Jesus as a tool uh, to get their pet gospel thing across. Well, Jesus obeyed the Sabbath, therefore we should all obey the Sabbath. Please look at the context of what Jesus did. Jesus observed the Sabbath, but why? Why did Jesus observe the Sabbath? Galatians 4, 4 through 5. But when the fullness of the time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Simply put, the old covenant did not end until Jesus died and was resurrected in the day of Pentecost come. The old covenant was fulfilled in Jesus. He had to obey every point of the law. If he didn't, he would have failed as the Messiah. So he fulfilled, remember he fulfilled the entire law by being obedient to the entire law. And, and because of that, uh, that's why he obeyed the, the Sabbath day. And you say he's our perfect example, but you have to use that contextually. What was his mission for when he came to this earth? And who did he speak to first when he came to this earth? The Jews who rejected him, like the cornerstone that was rejected. So Jesus was the reason, uh, when Jesus was on the earth, he spoke to the Jews first, he fulfilled their law, he died, he resurrected, and the new covenant of grace came in where something better is given to you, okay? Um, the veil being torn in two at his death signified that it was finished. Now listen to this, this is beautiful. When God rested on the seventh day, he finished his work. It was finished. When the veil was ripped in two and Jesus gave up the ghost and when he said, it is finished, more rest comes. Where does that rest come in? For the Christian, our rest is in him. Jesus said, come unto me and I will give you rest. Okay? The old covenant used to go to the last day of the week, Saturday, the Sabbath, and they would get their rest now. But in the new covenant, we all come to Jesus and he gives us rest, not just on a day of the week, but every single moment of our life as we turn our will over to him. This is the relationship that is lacking in the Mormon church when it comes to Sabbath day observance. Do you understand what I'm saying here? It's, it's completely congruent when you look at the law, the old covenant, and the new. He gives us the rest, not just on one day a week, but every day of the week. It's not linked to our personal worthiness, okay? So for the next argument that comes in line, but didn't Paul regularly go to the synagogue on the Sabbath after the new covenant began? Yes, he did. Of course he did. But come on now. What was the context? The old covenant had just been done away with. The early church converts were Jews. 
They didn't just automatically stop their practice of Sabbath day observance. There's a transition period. There's an overlapping, and God allows that. So they continued to go, and Paul would go to where the Jews gathered, and he would preach to them on that day. But Paul was very certain to let you know that the Sabbath day was done. And in only one of two verses that he uses in the New Testament, we read Colossians 2, 16 through 17. Listen to this carefully. Therefore, let no one judge you in food or in drink. Now listen. Or in respect of a holy day or of a new moon or of the Sabbaths. For these are a shadow of things to come, but the body is of Christ. He tells them right there, don't give respect to a a day of the week. Don't give respect to a day of the month. Have you ever been judged because of the things you eat or the things you drink or the way you observe a certain day? Have you ever had people look down on you because you're doing something on a certain day of the week which they feel is out of character with someone who really follows God? This shouldn't happen, Paul's telling you. You have liberty. And with that liberty, you have love for him. And you'll follow him better than you ever could. Okay, so the hypocrisy can kill us when, when you think about it. What the, law, the, the hypocrisy the law can bring out, remember what it did to the children of Israel at Jesus' time. I mean, the hypocrisy was crazy, and he pointed that out to them. He says, Paul writes in verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which is contrary to us and has taken it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. All those ordinances, all those things of the law have been nailed to the cross. Just as an interesting side note before I conclude here, the Sabbath day or obeying the Sabbath is very interesting when it's relative to Mormon's Sabbath day on Sunday, not because only it's the wrong day of the week, but the Sabbath meant an, uh, a monthly uh, Sabbatarian thing that the Jews did. It also meant a, uh, the weekly, and it, it included annual rest days. And then every 49th year, the Jews took the entire year off. That's part of their Sabbath, and it's called the year of Jubilee. And the land was able to rest then. That's all part and parcel of the thing called the Sabbath. Do you obey the Sabbath now? Are you deluded into thinking that you're obeying the Sabbath? Read the Old Testament. You're not obeying a Sabbath. And when you call it a Sabbath and tie worthiness and salvation to it, it's a complete misnomer. It's just not right at all. And in fact, the Jews spent... All the time that they didn't keep that annual jubilee, that every 49th year jubilee, all the years that they ignored that, they spent in captivity, Babylonian captivity. The same amount of years that they ignored what they should have done. The Lord said, okay, I'm going to let the the land rest myself. And he put them in captivity and he let the land rest while they were stuck in there. And then when they came out, that time was up. Did you know that those parallels are there? Read the Bible. You'll see what the Sabbath day is. Finally, the Bible doesn't specify any specific day for worship. It does. And it doesn't do it directly except in Acts 2.7. It says, And upon the first day of the week when the apostles came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow. We also know in John 20 that Jesus first appeared on the first day of the week to evangelize. We also know from Acts 2.1 that the first gospel sermon was preached on the first day of the week, the first day of the week being uh, Sunday. The first converts were baptized. 
Um, the uh, gifts were given on the first day of the week. The first day of the week has beautiful significance in the life of a Christian. It's not a Sabbath day. It's the Lord's day, as it's called in Revelation. And the reason is the Sabbath day, the last day, Saturday, the Jews were under the law. They were burdened. They were burdened. They came to that day and they rested like God rested when he created uh, the world. In the Christian view, we start the day of the week with Jesus and what he's done for us. We worship him. We gather. We break bread. We do all those things. And we springboard into the rest of the week with this new life. And we keep that with us all through the rest of the week. Sabbath day and its observances just have nothing to do with it. Before we open up the lines, I want to... Um, say a couple things about the Sabbath in conclusion and then one comment about the calls. Uh, the Sabbath day in the Old Testament, if you didn't obey it, you were killed. It was the death penalty. They were under so many strict rules. Traveling distances were part of it. Uh, what they work they could do, they couldn't even spit on the fear that a seed would germinate. Uh, there were so many, 613 commandments, many of them tied to Sabbath day observances. You cannot in good conscience say, do you obey the Sabbath day? It's a mockery. It just simply is a mockery. Now, if you want to go and honor God on, on Sunday and do the things you do, fine. But as far as the legalism of a Sabbath day, it just is not uh, true. Uh, okay, let's go to, I need to make an announcement before we go to the phone lines. The announcement is... I want to repent. The Bible says that we repent when we change our mind. I am, of course, an impassioned man, and when we receive calls, I uh, get heated with you. And what I have done wrong, and what I've purposely chosen to do wrong, was to argue point by point. I want to now change that way. I want to repent and turn from that, and I want to give you a chance to speak your mind. So, this is the deal. When, I, uh, when you call, you give your message, give the thing you want to do, and I will remain silent if you're LDS. But here's what you have to do on your side. You have to have a point. All right? You have to have one single point, and you have to come to the table prepared with it. We're not going to do uh, topical jousting anymore. You're not going to say, what about this? And I'm going to say that, and you're going to say, well, what about this? And that. This has got to stop, okay? The second thing is, is we want people to be first-time callers. We don't want re repetitive callers who are calling all the time because the phone lines are always busy and many people are complaining that they can't get through. So if you're not a first-time caller, hold back on calling. The next thing is if you're LDS, we want you to call. I apologize for intimidating you uh, through my rhetoric and I want you to call and present the things you have to say and I'll try to be kinder. One of our uh, producers, camera people back here, holds up a sign that says, be nice when they start to see me getting wild. I don't want to offend you or drive you away. I want you to call and express your opinions. But you gotta keep it last thing to 20 seconds. No reading long things. Don't call to read us the whole book of Nehemiah. Don't do this. Just give us your point so that the other audience people can participate. All right, all that being said, Eric, first time caller uh, from Park City, Utah. Wrong one, wrong one. Eric? You're on Heart of the Matter. Eric. Yes. You're on, brother. What's going on, man? Um, I'm here, Sean. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm getting away from the TV so I can hear you. Excellent. Uh, say, um, uh, of course, I, we just uh, love the uh, ministry you're presenting to all of us out here. We've um, so wanted to, uh, we Christians in Utah have so wanted to uh, uh, be 
better informed, um, more compassionate, um, and more informed as, as to, you know, how to communicate with our LDS neighbors. And you're really serving a, an incredible purpose for us. Uh, that's my preamble. My, my main question, Sean, I mentioned it to you last week briefly. Uh, uh, I've had the opportunity to um, have a young man, an LDS uh, young man in his 20s, open up to me okay. about a lot of um, occult activities that have been almost thrust on him. Um, he's not seeking this stuff. He doesn't have Ouija boards, but he told me stories that, you know, would curl your eyebrows. And okay. I'm just wondering, from your many years in the past here in Utah, um, have you noticed uh, a particular uh, upswing in, in occult activities, in particular here in Utah, in the Mormon Church? I know there's a history, uh, maybe with the Masonic stuff and the five-pointed star. Anyway, I just want to get your impressions and you you know, be I, better informed on, on what we're dealing with here. Unfortunately, on that topic, I've heard a lot of uh, rumor. I've seen things in the newspaper over the past decades. I mean, when I was at BYU, we heard about uh, people gathering and doing things in and, uh, and, and black magic and that were tied to the church. But I have never personally seen anything directly related in my experience. I would imagine that they're aberrant uh uh, connections, that there are some groups that are kind of break-off groups that get involved in that like any group has. I don't know that it, it, it occurs. I hear so much speculation, Eric, but I don't know for a fact, so uh, I couldn't say uh, yes to that. You have your TV on, Eric. Well, see, it's hard to hear you, Sean. Um, on the phone, you're so quiet. Really? There you go. That's better. Okay. Did you hear my response? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, okay. You, it sounds like you said there has been stories that you've heard. I've heard stories, sure. Uh, all kinds of different stories. But you know how the, the problem is, Eric, is when you have a secret, uh, or they, the LDS call it sacred ceremony that goes on in a temple, yeah. um, there automatically is going to be conjecture that strange things are going on in there that are, you know, you hear all kinds of things that, that just don't. So I think that, that partially plays into why those rumors go on. Well, this, this has not been a rumor in this fellow's life, uh, Sean. It, it, it's been, you know, pretty frightening huh. and overwhelming to him. And I, I'd, I love to talk, I'd love to talk to him. In his eventual conversion. But for the me, in the meantime, I need to know uh, how to communicate about these issues to him, um, how to pray for him for protection, and, and how to basically witness that, you know, he can uh, escape the, the bondage uh, that is, is, is going on here. Well, I would uh, do exactly what you're saying you would do, Eric. I'd pray and I would, uh, you know, read the word with him and pray over him and, and get the people at the church to do the same. And we can talk more specifically uh, email, but uh, that's the best I could say. You know, I do that with, you know, my lost children or I do it with uh, friends who are struggling. We pray, yeah. we trust in the yeah. Lord, we turn to the word, yeah. Well, absolutely. I, I'd like for others, if there are others out there like this, this fellow, to feel free to call in for, uh, you know, explanations and, and comfort and uh, ex just in general. All right, man. Get your, get your opinion on this. Thanks a lot, Eric. Thank you for your time, God, John. God bless you. God bless you. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. We're going to David, first-time caller on line two. David, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. How's it going? Good. How are you? 
Well, I'm doing all right. Um, well, I was calling tonight um, in part. Uh, my wife had called last week, and uh, I, I just kind of want to apologize because she can get a little heated, like you can get a little heated about things. Yeah, we both got heated. That's all right. Yeah, um, you probably remember her call. Um, she's from Clearfield. Clare we had two or three that night. I don't know which one she was. Yeah, well, you know, um, my wife has good intentions, you know. I know. Um, anyways, I... I feel like, um, in part, I might be kind of similar to, to the way that you were, um, in a small part, I guess. Um, you know, I, I had lived the gospel, you know, of, according to the LDS Church um, for a long time. I uh, kind of, you know, wanted to discover things for myself, and I, uh, you know, I went out searching through religion after religion, and, you know, found some answers. There's just some things that I, I couldn't deal with, you know, like uh, paid ministry and things like that. But um, off that subject, um, in regards to observing the Sabbath day, and I, I am a um, devout LDS now after okay. having several roller coasters. David, I don't want to cut you off, but we got to really keep them quick, so okay. go to it. All right, sorry. Um, anyways, if, if it's okay to not really observe the Sabbath, um, you know, that it's not really a modern commandment, then wouldn't that be true for all the rest of the commandments that were given? Well, the application is they're, they're expanded, and uh, every one of the commandments are given new meaning through Christ, every one of them. And, and like I said, you know, look at any of them, and you can see that they have a new expanded meaning, including the Sabbath day. Well, sure. I mean, we're more accountable, and there's, there's more things that have, you know, come about that, you know, to... to to whom much is given, much is expected. You know, yeah. um, we're given the commandments and we're given higher laws. And, uh, you know, Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, you know, wants us to observe those laws um, as they were given. And, of course, through His grace, I agree that, um, you know, we can be forgiven, uh -huh. you know, for our transgressions. Um, but it doesn't mean that we shouldn't still make the efforts to do that. But there's no effort for a Sabbath day. If you listen, I, I'm sure you did listen to the entire thing. I think I gave ample reasons why the day has changed. I, I do, I do understand that. Um, that yeah. was also brings me to another question. Got to be quick um, about rationalization. How come it sounds like you you rationalize behavior that you might not be, uh, you know, setting as an example or. or because, required. because the, those, those are not rationalizations. Those are liberties given to the Christian. You are not under the law anymore when you become a, a Christian. You're not under law. And so when, you, when people try to put you under law, David, that puts them on a hamster wheel and it makes them a prisoner again. I, are, I, I understand what so you're saying. So it's not a rationalization. I, well, you don't understand because it's not a rationalization. It's no, no, liberty. No, I, do, I do understand what you're saying about how, how uh, it can be constricting, how rules and, and commandments can be constricting. But, but there is no constriction with Christ. There's freedom in Christ. It's not that they can be constricting. It's that they, they're, they're not applicable to the Christian life. They're just not. Joseph Smith was a great fan of the Old Testament. He resurrected a bunch of dead orthodoxies and put them back as necessary for salvation. It's just not true. It's counter to the freedom and liberty Jesus affords. So do you, do you agree that there are more than one ways to find joy? Joy? No. Boy, and that's funny. I'm writing a book right now on joy, and that's funny you brought that up. Joy? No. There's one way to find joy. And that's through following the commandments. That's, no, that's through Jesus Christ. You're following the commandments brings you happiness. Joy is a completely different subject. 
But we can't talk about that. We've gone on too long. Maybe we can talk later, David. I got to keep it moving, man. Hey, have a nice evening. Thanks for the call. You too. We're going to Tina, first time caller from Layton. Tina, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, um, how are you? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing well, Tina. Hey, you know, I was just wondering how important is it to become excommunicated from the LDS Church? I am, um, I'm a, I was born and raised LDS, but I'm a born-again Christian now, and I would like to become excommunicated. Okay. Well, if you would like to, then maybe it's something that you just need to do to make, it, make you feel like you've really separated from the religion. You don't necessarily have to do the excommunication. Uh, you can go and you can have your name removed. Uh, you, uh, the excommunication uh, is a process that they go through with a council of men to judge you. Uh, but if you don't want to do that, you just want your name removed, uh, that's another thing that you can do. And you can email us and we'll send you the uh, way to do it because there is a proper way to do it. And if you don't follow that way, they'll, uh, they won't honor your wishes. Well, is it an important thing to do? No. no you, I mean, if you're a born-again Christian, uh, the only thing that it does is it lets the LDS Church know that one more person is, is uh, not happy with what uh, it did for them. And it, lets, it sends another message that might help the corporate body change. Okay. But it's not necessary in God's eyes. No, I didn't think that it was, and I wondered why I should even do it. But um, after listening to you a couple of weeks ago, you know, the Lord just put it on my heart that maybe I didn't want to be counted amongst their numbers. That might be a good thing, and, and it, it just might be something that we do as people, our, our makeup, and maybe it would be good for you. The Lord will tell you. Okay. Thank you so much for the call. Thank you. Okay, God bless. You too. Bye-bye. We're going to Doug and Sandy, a first-time caller. Doug, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, John. Hi, how are you? Good. Hey, listen, man, I just appreciate uh, what you're doing. Let me tell you just briefly my uh, story here. I have my, uh, all my married children have started to come to my house, an LDS Mormon house, all married children, youngest one being 25, when we found you about six, seven weeks ago, and we listened to you and listened to the Mormons call in and rant and rave, or whoever, whoever else might call in and rant and rave, and <laughs> the best part of it is that our family, as children, would never meet for family home evening, but you've made Tuesday night our family home evening, and boy, do we love going to see you. <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. But That's great. Well, pray in the word, and I appreciate the questions and challenges you bring up, and just want to thank you for that. Hey, you know, I really appreciate that call. Praise God. Thank you so much. You too, Sean. Bye bye. Okay, bye bye. That is great. I wish I had their last name. We'd say Happy Family Home Evening tonight. That's awesome. All right, we're sorry, I got caught up in the moment. We're going with Thomas and Ogden. Thomas, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Um, my, I'm a convert, and um, which means I'm. Uh, I've went from Christianity to uh, being a Mormon, and uh, my question is... Um, I'm glad you phrased it that way. I don't mean to cut it off, but you went from Christianity to being a Mormon. That's well put. Okay, go ahead. Uh, anyhow, my question is, um, how do I determine hypocrisy? And the hypocrisy situation that I'm going through is that I'm um, married, and me and my wife go to church, and um, they have this thing called the Proclamation of Family. Yeah. The, and in the worldly view, family kind of means, you know, husband, wife, and children. And, um, and plus they have family wards and stuff of that sort. 
Well, the hypocrisy situation that I'm going through that feel it's somewhat of a hypocrisy is that I have a big resentment towards the family proclamation because me and my wife cannot have kids and huh. we can't afford to adopt. Uh-huh. And um, it's kind of like when we go to church, we're looked at as kind of as the outsiders because, you know, we're not there with baby in hand or kids and wow. stuff of that sort. And I just feel, um, I feel like giving up because... Uh, with my relationship because I feel like I'm not um, not really doing the part that uh, the church makes it seem like I should be doing. My wife works and I, I don't, and uh, so the tables are turned, you know, and, and I had a counseling with my bishop, and he's like, well, you need to get to work and, and get a job because the husband's role in the household is to, to work. So how do we determine between personal hypocrisy and hypocrisy of the church, just like well, the one time you were saying about your socks uh, yeah. weren't on on yeah. your shoes, and you and your bishop told you to go back to uh, to uh, get some socks on, or yeah. else uh, you can come to uh, church. Well, Thomas, couple yeah. thoughts, couple thoughts. Mm-hmm. First and foremost, you can always uh, remember that uh, the prophet Jeremiah, I believe it was Jeremiah, was told by the Lord not to marry and uh, to spend his life doing what he did. And remember, Paul also talked about marriage, that uh, he said it'd be better if you were like me. And it's believed that Paul's wife left him because he became a Christian and he was without a spouse. So God is behind people who don't even have spouses, let alone people who don't have children. So uh, having children, is, uh, from the Christian purview, falls back under that idea of liberty. If you don't have children, first and foremost, you can look to God and say, he doesn't, you are not to have them. Because he's the one who does that for you. And if he's not blessing you with children or giving you children or cursing you with children in some cases, then it's not necessary in your life and you're not under that burden. And when you walk into a church that puts so much emphasis on family with like the family proclamation and and you have to have uh, children in order to reach your full potential and all those things, it's just not true in the Lord. I mean, he has created such a diverse community of people that is fine for some not to have children, fine for some not to marry, and great for people who choose to do uh, both. So that's how you're going to be able to differentiate between the hypocrisy of individuals and the hypocrisy of the institution. Where do people get the idea that you have to have those things, marriage, children, the more children the better, that whole ideology, and it comes down to their doctrine. Yeah, and the thing that bothers me is like it's kind of like do as I say, but don't do as I do because I see a lot of Mormons that do things that aren't necessarily following by by the doctrine at all. Sure, like it's like a double standard or a two-faced kind of behavior. Hey Thomas, I hope you reconvert. I, I'm I'm trying. I'm watching your show right now. I had to put it on mute, so I'll have to watch it um, uh, next week uh, when it re-airs. All right, man. God bless you. God bless you. Thank Bye. you. Bye bye. All right, we're going to Elizabeth in Orem on line one. Elizabeth, you're on Heart in the Matter. Heart of the Matter. Elizabeth? 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 She got a little bit scared of talking to me, or she got disconnected, one or the other. Uh, We're going to Lori and Layton on line three, a first-time caller. Lori, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Um, I have a question about the Sabbath day. Yes, ma'am. Why do Mormons believe the devil rules the water on Sunday, and why are missionaries not even supposed to go in the water on a mission? Ooh. Well, first of all, uh, there's been a couple lines crossed. They don't believe he rules the water on Sunday. They believe he rules the water all the time. 
And that's why, um, that's why uh, missionaries don't swim at all on their missions. But you have to understand that them believing that is not a doctrinal thing. It comes from the history of the church when they were uh, being per the saints were being persecuted. I think in Missouri, and they're traveling down. Oh, they're, they're tra are you there? They're traveling down a river, and on that river, I think it was Joseph Smith, but something tells me it might have been someone else who said, the devil is riding upon these waters. And from that, they, it just kind of turned into this myth within the church that devil has control of the waters. Uh, but on a practical side, I think they stop missionaries uh, from swimming on their missions is because when you combine young men with water, you have a lot of accidents, and people were sending their missionaries out to serve the Lord, quote-unquote, and we're coming back dead. So they said, as a general rule, there's no swimming whatsoever. But it might be tied to that idea. Uh, but it isn't a Sunday thing. It's all the time. Okay. Does that help? Yeah, and, and another idea for you to talk about, someone brought up the stick of Joseph, how the Mormons get the Book of Mormon from that. Yeah. Can you talk about that sometime? I will. I'll talk about that in the future. Next year we're going to go into that heavily. But uh, simply put, they talk about in Ezekiel 36, a stick of Joseph, a stick of Judah, and what those speak about biblically, if you look at it in context, it's very simple. Just read the whole uh, chapter of uh, Ezekiel 36 and you'll get the context. But the sticks were for the tribe of Joseph, uh, tribe of Judah, the northern and southern tribes. That's what those two sticks represent. They do not represent the Bible and the Book of Mormon. It's evident when you read it. It's one of the funniest doctrines, really the most easily provable ones that they have. So good point. Thanks for bringing it up. Yeah, I read it, and I couldn't quite understand where they got it from either. Yeah, I know. That one is really pulled out of the air. So, Well, thanks for your show. I look forward to it every week. Oh, thanks so much. We'll talk to you later. Okay, take care. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. All right, we're going to Elizabeth. I think you're back on line two. Elizabeth, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good, and you? Good. Is your TV on? Yes. Turn it off. Okay. Um, my question um, is, uh, I saw from your website um, that it says you're a born-again Mormon, and I was just curious on what that means. Um, I've heard of Mormons, and I've heard of born-again Mormons. <clears throat> I'm just curious on what that means. I've never heard of it. What it refers to, Elizabeth, is I was LDS for 40 years. I came to know the Lord and uh, at the side of the road, and I was born again completely, and it changed my life, but I remained LDS for four more years. From that experience, I realized that a great way to introduce Latter-day Saints to Jesus is by talking to them about Jesus, getting them spiritually reborn the same way I was, not worrying about what church they attend, and then letting God decide where they go. So the title of the webpage, the title of the book, Born Again Mormon, is all about introducing the real Jesus to LDS, let them experience spiritual rebirth, and let them have God tell them what they should do with their lives thereafter. So do you still believe in, like, um, the LDS religion? Or no. how do you... No, not, not in any way, shape, or form. How do you... I, believe, I, think, I don't believe, but I think the, the good things they do are good, and anybody who does good, you know, in this world, this earth, good things are good. I mean, you know, I like Carl's Jr. They make a very good burger, so I eat those. But it doesn't mean I think that they're true. And so um, I, I am not Mormon in my doctrine or theology whatsoever unless that theology matches and meets what the Bible teaches. So what about, because I saw earlier how you said about the temples. Yeah. Do you still go to those? Or no. How do you I have left the church. I, I asked to be excommunicated in 2001 and was. 
Okay. Well, okay. that's awesome. I thank you for answering my question. You're welcome. You take care. You too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. We're going to Kathy. What line? We're going to Kathy in uh, Springville on line one. Kathy, first time caller. Hi, Sean. Hi, how are you? I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Hey, um, this is a little nerve-wracking, but I do have some questions for you. Okay. Um, this perpetual covenant is, uh, is something of interest because in the Bible it does say that the Sabbath day is a perpetual covenant. Yeah. And um, I know that uh, you know throughout history, Constantine he did he did change it from Saturday to Sunday. It wasn't Constantine who did that though, Kathy. Constantine just re Constantine all he did was support what the Christians were already doing because he was trying to get everybody by force to obey the Christian religion. But it wasn't him that changed it from the uh, uh, last day of the week, the Sabbath, to the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. It were the Christians. So. Um, why did the Christians do that? Did they keep the Saturday? I mean, the Jews, they worshipped on Saturday, and the Christians from the Bible, it, it sounds like that they, they continued um, worshipping on Saturday, but on no. Sunday, they would, the first day of the week, they'd get together and they would have their talks or their, their not synagogues, but their churches or whatever. Yeah, the first day of the week, like I gave you those references, if you go to the site, you can pull them up, was when they did everything. It, there's no indication that Christians ever worshipped on a Saturday. All that they did was Paul, they would go and they would go to the temple and they would teach the Jews about the new covenant because that's where the Jews were congregated. But the church itself, the disciples, the evidence is manifest that they met on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, and, and from that practice, we came up with the, the, uh, the, the Lord's Day worship. The Sabbath day, remember when you say it's a perpetual covenant, was with the children of Israel. It was for the old covenant. Well, aren't we the children of Israel? No. Well, who well I don't know if you are, but I'm not. Well, how do you know if you are or not? Well, are you a Jew? Well, no. Okay, are you a Gentile? Yeah. Okay, then you're not. You're not under the covenant. You converted to Christianity by accepting Jesus by faith. The old covenant was under the law. It was a completely different system. It didn't go away. This is where the confusion comes in. The Sabbath day didn't go away. It's still there for the Jews. And it just took on an, ex an accelerated, for lack of a better word, meaning for the Christian. Remember, remember the context biblically. God rested on the uh, seventh day from his labors. Jesus rested on, from his labors too. And in Jesus, we find the rest, not on a day of the week. Well, so what does that mean? That we don't have any Sabbath days? You, you don't, you can't, well, like I pointed out, you can't obey a Sabbath day. It's impossible. One, you're not Jewish. Two, you're probably not doing it on Saturday. Three, if you disobey it, and there's a lot of rules to obeying a Sabbath day, the penalty was death. I mean, have you ever done anything that would go against the Jewish law on a Sabbath day? I mean, oh. Saturday, Saturday, do you ever go water skiing or anything? Yeah. Well, you've broken the Sabbath day right there. I know. Yeah. So it doesn't apply to the Christian believer. We're under the covenant of grace. And we get together on the Lord's Day, and, but we have peace with Him every day. Well, so is the Old Testament and the New Testament two entirely, completely different books? No. They're, they're, they, uh, they, you, the Old Testament points to the New, and the New points back to the Old, and they mesh, and they don't cancel each other out, but they do have different application and different meaning. Mm -hmm. All right? 
We got to go, but a good call, Kathy. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to Vince, uh, first-time caller on line three. Vince, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean, how's it going? Hey, doing well. How are you? Really good. Hey, I just wanted to say, first of all, that I think that this is totally awesome. Um, I actually had some more missionaries come to my house the other day, and it was a, we had a really good talk. Oh, awesome. Um, I want to say... I think that a lot of uh, the Mormon listeners might be getting confused. Um, just because we're under the covenant of, of grace, uh-huh. of just, just because, you know, what God, has, what God has done is he, Jesus has died on the cross for us, and he's lifted the burden off of our shoulders. That's right. And, um, and so that doesn't mean that we don't follow the commandments necessarily. I mean... Um, it just means that we are not bound. We do these things by by obedience because we love God. Not Amen. We have to. And Amen. So the Mormons get really confused as they think, oh, well, I have to do this, I have to do that to go to heaven. And God sent his son so that we don't have to. And it's, it's the burden has been lifted off. And that's what, that's what the new... Um, the new covenant of grace is all about. Amen. Excellent call. And let me add to that, the book of Romans chapter 4 speaks about not only about us not being under the law anymore, but the imputation of the righteousness of Jesus into everyone who believes on him. So you not only aren't creating your own righteousness, your righteousness is imputed to you because of the only worthy righteousness that was ever done on this earth, and that was through Jesus. Amen. Yeah, so I mean, we are really fully lifted. And what you're pointing out is really important. What, peop- what Latter-day Saints don't get is when you're, confer- when you're committed to that and convicted, you want to follow and do everything God wants you to do more than you ever would under the law. Exactly. Praise God. What a great call. We're going to end on it. Thanks for calling, man. All right. Thanks, Sean. Okay. God bless. I challenge you, Latter-day Saints, to uh, check out the scriptures that we've uh, read tonight. I challenge you to uh, look into the Sabbath day uh, in an inductive way using the Old Testament, who it was to, what it was for, and then looking at the New Testament historicity of the Sabbath day and how it was applied. Again, I have no problem with people obeying a, a, a Lord's Day and people dressing a certain way and going through certain performances on that day. If that helps you feel closer to God, I'm sure He's going to honor that. But there is liberty, and you can't look down your nose at someone else who doesn't do those things. I'm on a ride, going nowhere. I am an existential cowboy on the This man's awake, a storm's arising, the dawn's awaiting till a hundred monkeys know. And I can feel the 